I want more people like the Donners, not just in Hollywood, but especially in Hollywood. All right, welcome everybody back to the Brick Pit. Uh, as always, I am Jason, and with me is the Dynamo of Disco, Josh. Hey. Uh, we don't have Adam with us this week. If you are on our Facebook page, you know why. If not, follow our Facebook page. Uh, but we're also uh, starting our uh, Where's Adam contest. So the first uh, listener to find out where Adam is gets a free copy of the uh, podcast to download. This week's clue is he's where the sun never shines, but always sets. <laughs> All right. So uh, without Adam, though, we have brought in a ringer uh, or scab, depending on your preferred nomenclature. Uh, I answered us, either. Yeah. With us is uh, Stephen Foxworthy from the Disenfranchised podcast. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. We're taking or our first. We're yeah, we're taking our first steps into a larger world, having other podcasters on makes us hey. feel like, makes us feel like big boys. Well, I, comic I mean, book movies are the thing now, so crossovers. We're that's crossovers. what it is. That's what it is. And honestly, I wouldn't be able to talk about most of the movies that we're going to talk about today on on our podcast. So I think we've got one that we have talked about and one that we will talk about at some point. But everything else. I don't think we would. So it's a chance for me to talk about some different movies. All so right. why, don't you, why don't you tell people about Disenfranchise, what you, yeah. what you yeah. guys are doing over there? Uh, so Disenfranchise, it's a podcast that my friend Brett Wright and I started uh, earlier in the pandemic around September of last year. And we talk about uh, movies that were supposed to kick off big franchises and then didn't uh, for one reason or another. It's usually money. Um, but uh, but we so we have a different episode every week. We've covered... Uh, a lot of really great movies, some great movies, some not so great movies. Uh, we just actually just last night, as of the recording of this episode, we recorded our uh, Masters of the Universe episode. All right. Before we get everything kicked off here, Stephen, I, I warned you about it. You did. So here it comes. Uh-oh. Your bricked pit. My bricked pit. Uh, I don't even know if this is one that you, this is probably one you guys had brought up previously, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to go back to it. Uh, Iron Man 2 is and i this is the only one i could think of that just made me viscerally angry um as i was watching the movie it's uh when uh the the monte carlo race scene and john favreau is just driving that car into mickey rourke's legs over and over and over again and he walks away well, in their defense, that is Mickey Rourke. That dude probably <laughs> they, feels they, nothing. They really hit him with the car. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to get him off the set because he was screaming about his bird. But here's the thing. <laughs> I was convinced when I saw it for the first time in theaters, because they, they drag him away, and I was convinced like one of his legs just falls off. In, and, and after subsequent rewatches, it's actually his boot that mm. fall comes tumbling off his leg but it's like a big work boot so it looked right. like half his leg is falling off and so i was like okay well then it makes sense why he's going to build himself a, a set a suit of armor because he can't walk now and then he's walking around the rest of the movie and i'm like yeah. and so i convinced myself and i have no evidence that such a thing exists but i convinced myself that there was a cut of this movie wherein ivan vanko was paralyzed at monte carlo and then had to build the suit out of necessity so that he could walk again that I, I don't think it exists. It exists nowhere but my own mind. Release but I the Steven cut. Please <laughs> do. It would make a lot more sense. <laughs> that movie is probably the worst of all the MCU films, in my opinion. 
on July 5th, we did lose uh, Richard Donner, who has been one of the most influential uh, directors of the last what, 50 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it bears talking about him because he has influenced so much of especially pop culture cinema mm-hmm. that because uh, he's touched essentially every genre. And uh, it, it really is one of those things when you start looking at his credits, you, you notice that he's made movies that, you know, our generation especially grew up with mm. and it essentially established our, our taste in other cinema. Yeah, he was, he was loomed large in the background. Like, you know, we've got, you have your Spielbergs and, and uh, kind of the, the, the larger like 80s, 90s big name filmmakers and like like Donner's name doesn't come up a lot in that, and and I think it is because he did have such a breadth of uh, of work. Like he wasn't pigeonholed in a genre like like Carpenter. Um, he was able to successfully work. You know, like it's like he's almost like the working man's auteur, in in my opinion. Yeah, and I I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know that I would go so far as to call him an auteur because his career is very journeyman-like. I mean, he just does the work, but he understands enough about the craft of filmmaking, understands enough about um, storytelling and composition, et cetera, that he's produced just, or directed and produced, honestly, Mm -hmm. both, just some absolutely incredible cinema over the course of his career. And he's able to move so deftly between genres. But, you know, if you look, there's not much linking all the Donner films in terms of theme or, uh, you know, particular visual style. He's, he's just a guy who, who knows the language of cinema, shows up, does the job, cashes the check, moves on to the next game. You know, that, that's, that's an interesting point because I think you're right that he does step aside um, and let the, let the, the story be the story and does whatever tropes or motifs are appropriate for the genre he's in, even when he's almost inventing it, like with, with Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you're right. So he, he's, he's, he's almost invisible as, as a director per se, but still has that, that great competency. Uh, yeah, just to get some background, uh, Donner was born April 24th. 1930 is Richard Donald Schwartzberg in the Bronx, New York. Uh, he actually started off as an actor and was convinced by one of the directors to actually go into directing. I don't know if that says anything about his quality as an actor or not. I haven't <laughs> seen any of his acting gigs. So I couldn't tell you. Hey, hey, Richard, why don't you come step behind the camera for a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever this considered directing? <laughs> but uh, he actually started at Desi Loop. Which, for those who don't know, is the production company that uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz started uh, originally to produce the the I Love Lucy show, but they also started into uh, other television shows and most famously, Say it. right at the end, Star Trek there it and is. Mission Impossible. I ain't worried about Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come Star on, Trek. We're, we're all nerds here. We know what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> Not a podcast without a track reference. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that, yeah. Uh, work with Desi Lou. He started doing TV. Uh, mm-hmm. Did a lot of Westerns. Uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, Rifleman. Stuff like that. And, uh, like, weirdly, like, Gilligan's Island. 
<laughs> and the, the banana splits an hour and just crazy stuff. But also one of, I know one of Josh and my favorites, the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. He one did, of the all-time uh, great episodes. The yes, yes, Zone. yes. One of the most famous <laughs> fan starring, <favorite> Starring. <laughs> Say it. Starring William Shatner. There it is. <laughs> Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Yes. Just brilliant I, on every iconic. level. So I, good. I, I wonder now, though, thinking that with, with his... Um, I mean that's 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 a lot of different style TV shows that that uh, that that's probably where he got the learned the ability to navigate so deftly between genres. You know, almost it, almost certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, but to to do it efficiently, right. on time and on budget, which is of course one of the most important things in Hollywood, especially in television. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah he he's. They started, you know, flirting with films in the, the 60s, but it's in the 70s where he comes to shine. And uh, this is on the list. You put it down there, Stephen. So I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to you for this one. Uh, yeah. So I watched uh, The Omen, uh, Richard Donner's The Omen for the first time last year, actually. I've oh, only wow. kind of I've only recently kind of come into horror movies. Mm. And so I there's a lot with that. There's a lot that, to catch up on that I haven't seen. So I've been watching a lot of really great horror movies over the last few years. And last year during the month of October, I did a horror movie marathon. And so I was like, you know what? Every single Omen movie is streaming. Let's watch every single Omen movie. <laughs> uh, so I did. And uh, the first one is the best by far. Like, oh, yes. Without question or contest. The first oh, yeah. one is something special. And it wasn't even like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. But it was it was competent. Like it was well made. It was actually legitimately scary. And by that by that point, I had just kind of absorbed most of the plot of The Omen through cultural osmosis. Like it wasn't something that I uh, felt that I didn't know. But when I sat down and actually started watching it, even though I knew the beats, there was a lot there that I didn't recognize. Like the whole David Warner subplot I was oh, ill yeah. prepared yeah. for, which is oh, man. maybe the best part of the movie. Yeah. Um, like just, and then of course my, my favorite part of the movie, and of course I knew the story before, but watching the little kid at the end of the movie, turn to the camera and just start smiling and laughing and knowing that the reason that he's laughing in reality is not because he's pure evil as we know all children to be, <laughs> but in fact, he is, um, he was told by Donner to look at the camera and look very angry. Like he was very angry. And then as soon as he did, Donner says, don't laugh, whatever you do, don't laugh. Don't stop. Don't don't. And of course, being a kid, you can't hear don't laugh without thinking of the funniest thing you could ever think of. And so he starts laughing and grinning. And that's how we get, you know, Damien's famous evil grin, evil mm -hmm. little giggle there at the end. And what are the most famous closings of a horror movie? Yeah. And it's it's bone chilling. I mean, well, it's so good. Horror films typically are very genre exploitative kind of, you know, and that's okay. There's a place for it. The Omen, it, it, it stands above that. It is, it's, it's more than just a horror film and, and, and it's, it is due to the directing and it's, but you can also, I mean, you can set the Omen up against any other Richard Donner film. And like you said, it's like, it's like you would not guess that it was the same director because yeah. he took the, he took the genre took it seriously, took the material seriously and, and did what he had to do to make, make the story shine. Mm -hmm. 
it, but the thing about it is like the omen is it's that cast like you've already mentioned david warner but i mean we've also got to mention gregory peck yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah the pack baby i mean it's just it's a very well stacked cast warner at, at the early part of his film career mm-hmm. uh you've got patrick troughton a uh, former doctor from doctor who mm-hmm. uh who was uh, a contemporary of uh sir lawrence olivier who's part of that acting company and it's just the same with donner you have extremely competent people coming in right and they're not slumming it because it's a horror movie oh mm-hmm. and it's what's funny is and it's like almost every film that we're going to talk about uh, with with a few exceptions were so good that they imprinted themselves into the cultural zeitgeist because you can't say the name damien and not think of the omen it I mean, made my, that name unacceptable for yes, children yes. going forward. It, it was on a list of names that my parents were going to name me, but then they were like, oh, the omen. So, <laughs> Oops. Yeah, so there you go. I He's already got the Damien. 666 on his floor. Right. We can't do that. All right, so yeah, so so the omen. <laughs> yeah, the omen. Great movie. Um, you know, it's, uh, and it, yeah, you're right. The ca- in, in addition, you've got Lee Remick in there, Billy Whitelaw. Like Billy Whitelaw, I know, honestly, the first time I think I saw her in a movie was um, Hot Fuzz. Uh, she's she's the innkeeper's wife in Hot Fuzz. And I uh, love her so much in that movie. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, she's in The Omen? Fan- she's the evil nanny? Fantastic. Like, I just, because that's what um, Edgar Wright did for for all of those movies. He did, like, some deep cuts and cast, like, some people from, like, horror movies past the classic horror movies that he grew up with and the omen would have undoubtedly been one of those so of course you know when he gets the chance to cast billy whitelaw why wouldn't you right uh and i know earlier also steven you uh texted me that you uh were watching a certain series of films yeah i did uh i spent all day watching the lethal weapon movies (laughs) a day well spent that is (laughs) i mean that is donner's franchise like Mm -hmm. there are very few single director franchises that exist in this world and now that we're kind of like dredging up old franchises like trying to resurrect them zombie style in the most unnatural (laughs) way possible and give them new life um like the fact that lethal weapon the film series at least i've not watched the tv show and i know donner probably serves as an executive producer and that's it but like the movies like he directed all four of those movies um and you can tell they get like shane black is kind of the author is in, in a lot of ways the author of the first one like it's in even though it's his first movie it's got a lot of that early shane black like the stuff that mm-hmm. you come to know speaking of iron man 3 shane black it's yeah. got a lot of that stuff baked into it and then as the movies progress and it was fun to watch that progression today they get uh distinctly less uh shane black and distinctly more donner Till by the end, like by the fourth one, it's more an action comedy than it mm-hmm. is a straight up action movie, which is what the first one to two really are. Those right. are action movies first, comedy second. Yeah. And by by the time you put Joe Pesci front and center or right. on the poster peeking out from behind their shoulders, <laughs> um, you, you've pretty much segued into, into full-blown comedy at that point, uh, which is what we get with three and, and definitely four, where the movie will stop in its tracks 
to let like Chris Rock and Joe Pesci just do their tight five on mm-hmm. something. <laughs> and then, okay, now that are you guys done, you got it. Okay, good. Now let's go back to this movie. That well, we I think there's the, the ladies and gentlemen, gently. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a realization that a lot of the magic of the first movie was that chemistry between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think there's the, that realization that they are the movie. They are the franchise. Well, and, and it, it's interesting that the Lethal Weapon franchise is a good example of kind of a Flandersization of, of films. Like, you know, it's like Rambo probably being the most egregious, you know, goes to the anti-war, <laughs> can't, you know, PTSD Vietnam vet to showing up with bin laden and blowing up soviet tanks right in the course of like three movies it goes from like like rambo is or first blood is is similar to lethal weapon in that that there is like kind of the the, the main character is this broken character and how do they how do they move forward like so there's there's some depth to to lethal weapon i would say it's 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 more than your average action film. Agreed. Um, but then by four, it's like, you know, like you said, it's it's Joe Pesci. It's Joe Pesci doing an impression of Joe Pesci. Like, like, like he had gotten to the point in his career that he was, you know, it was like he was thought he was doing analyze this or something. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, he he went he went so big in Goodfellas, but it really mm-hmm. fit the character, it fit the role, mm-hmm. and he won an Oscar for it. I mean, Pacino had the same problem in Scent of a Woman. You go that big mm-hmm. and they give you an award for it. You're like, okay, well, this must be the zone that I have to be in all the time in order to get attention. Yeah. So after that, Pesci's doing like Home Alone and he's just through the roof, just going mm-hmm. over the top. And and then he shows up a couple of years ago in The Irishman and he's so subdued and so quiet and so terrifying. And you're like, brother, you still got it. Right. Come back, Joe yeah. Pesci. Like, we want this Joe Pesci. He was retired by that point. They brought him back for it. Getting back to Lethal Weapons, though, I think, especially by four, you you understand that Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are really are getting too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I think maybe the whole Chris Rock thing might have been uh, an attempt to pass the torch. I don't know. I they would have needed to bring someone else other than Joe Pesci in if that was the plan. Yeah. And honestly, most of the movie rock is interacting either with Danny Glover or with Joe Pesci. Yeah. Like that's most of the movie for him. Um, and it just, it gets, it gets pretty old, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when that movie came out, it was fire. One of the craziest things that at the end of the, the first lethal weapon movie is that fight between Mel Gibson and, uh, Gary Busey. Gary Busey, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, what did did you guys not have stunt doubles? Because this these are supposed to be two guys who look like who are supposed to know like close quarters combat, and it's it's two dudes mus- mud wrestling on Danny Glover's lawn. It, it looks like Mel Gibson and Gary Busey. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out though on the outline, the uh the subtitle you gave Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah, uh, so there's, <laughs> there's a moment. So there's a movie that comes out in 1997, which is a full year before Lethal Weapon. Uh, it's called Gone Fishing, and it stars Danny Glover and Joe Pesci as two old guys who go fishing. Um, I assume I've never actually seen it. Um, I, I have. It is. 
it is exactly what you would imagine. It's a, grum- uh, it's grumpy old man. Yeah, yeah. essentially, I mean, yeah, not quite as good. Obviously, <laughs> but, or they would have made sequels. It's um, grumpy old man. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, they're they're two very like uh, accident prone, naive old men going on a fishing trip. It's it's a comedy road movie that pretty much like all road movies in the 80s 90s nothing funnier than early onset dementia and (laughs) aging is always a comedy comedy treasure trove but like i said like all 80s and 90s uh road movies there of course has to be some criminal element involved so you have wacky to-dos with the the crooks trying to get back at the heroes of the film There's a scene early in the film where um, they're out on Murtaugh's boat. Like that's like a, a, a thread across the movies. Murtaugh has a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're on the boat and they're like under fire from the, uh, the human traffickers that they're fighting in this movie. Um, and they're shooting them. And of course, Riggs goes diving into the water. And for a glorious three minutes, it's literally just Danny Glover and Joe Pesci sitting on this boat together. And then uh, an oil drum on the other vessel blows up and comes falling into their boat. So they have to jump off. And so it just felt very like the two of them. And of course, Pesci's got the like the the fishing hat, <laughs> like down over his head and Glover's got a ball cap on. I'm like, this is Gone Fishing too, right? Like, that's what this is. This, <laughs> this is, is that's the movie before. they started gone filming. Fishing too. That, yeah, that was right. they couldn't get the money, the funding deleted, for it. So it, was it became a deleted the scene four. from Gone Fishing. Yeah, we just call it. Like, we just call it lethal weapon but it's yeah. it's it's a secret backdoor um uh it's, gone the, spir- fishing it's the spiritual successor there it gone is fishing. there it is the movie nobody wanted <laughs> but yeah my last my last selection for for the the donner films was one that we actually covered on our podcast not too long ago um that was actually one of the first movies i ever saw at a drive-in theater when i was growing up so that'll put a stamp on my first time at a drive-in theater. Uh, but uh, the based on the 50s Western uh, Maverick, uh, fun movie, Maverick. Yes. We, my co-host and I had a really good time with that one. I'm not a huge fan of Maverick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's definitely Donner and Gibson just having a good time. It's 100% what it is. And it's just, yeah, it's in jokes, you know, the Danny Glover cameo. Which uh, I remember my aunt and uncle, because I saw it with my aunt and uncle and cousin, and my aunt and uncle died. Like, I've never seen two adults laugh as hard as I saw them laugh when that happened. And I, I didn't get it. And they're like, they were in those movies together. You know, they'll leave the web. It's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And then he comes out and he says, I'm getting too old for this shit. And they lose it again. And I'm like, oh, that must be a line from that movie. That <laughs> I don't know uh, the movie, but I'm smart. Are you like Captain, Captain America, like writing down? Like- <laughs> <laughs> movie with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. I wrote it in my mind so that I could come back to it later. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, it's one of the great, like one of the great poker scenes in movies too, is that final poker tournament that they're at i just like for some reason i think movies with poker in them are are fun mm-hmm. um, rounders even even movies that are like <laughs> not great movies like rounders i still enjoy the poker element of those movies mm-hmm. um like i'm just like in for that i have fun with that so i was like this and and just the the way that donner shoots those um those poker scenes and 
like the the subtle things that he does in camera to let you know without choreographing them really obviously like the fact that there's the the dealer is helping one of the guys at the table cheat during the last hand um by dealing from the bottom of the deck switching the decks out like he shows you all of that but he doesn't like put it in slow-mo and like Mm -hmm. put a light on it so you can see that where the other deck is going and what like and he doesn't like flip back to it as the guy's remembering like you just see him notice it and you see it happen having james garner on there is just because he's the original maverick i mean that's the the role that just shot him up to superstardom mm-hmm. uh and we and talk in that episode that maybe that movie is like a backdoor sequel to the tv show kind of yeah yeah because yeah it, it definitely feels like that uh but just yeah, having him and not only that, but a lot of the others like Denver Pyle. Denver Pyle was one of those guys who who did a lot of those old westerns, TV shows, and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, oddly enough, of all the like I said, the the old westerns that Richard Donner did, he never did a uh, a Maverick episode. Yeah, but like he, I said, he so he, many others. Yeah, like I said, he did all those others, Rifleman and all that kind of stuff. That he worked with those people and he brought them back for this this movie a lot of country stars too yes a lot mm-hmm. of like people that he'd worked with before Corey feldman Margot kidder um like show up in the back one of the dealers at one of the tables in the poker tournament is the guy that played the captain in the elite all four lethal weapon movies like he just brought everybody back so you can tell it's definitely just him just cashing his check and having a mm-hmm. blast with his friends and, and again though i'm not a big fan of it it's very competent well done, well crafted film. Polar opposite in tone and scope of like The Omen. You know, it's like again, it's a, another two films that it's like you would not say that it was the same director. You know, yeah. um, a, which, a which again, Donner I think, film doesn't have a feeling. It's one of those movies you get to the end and go, "Oh, Richard Donner directed this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's what I mean by journeyman. Like he's yeah, just, he can do anything. Yeah, he he lets the script dictate the film. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and not you know, like I said, he's not one of those people that comes in and you know, just puts his fingerprints all over. He understands that he's making entertainment for the audience mm-hmm. and not for himself. Yep, for sure. And and so you, when you go to a Richard Donner movie you often don't know what you're what you're coming in for you're just coming in for a good time really right and and i mean a long career lots of of films very few misses either critically or financially i i don't I, he had I a few toward the end but that was that was about the the max of it like well, he, he had uh throughout yeah like i said i think he had some in the days of like one of his first like very serious dramatic movies i think with uh, I think Chris Christopherson is. I can't remember the name of it now. I, I don't think it did very well. No, Inside Moves. Inside Moves, I believe, is it, gotcha. the name of it. Yeah, we'll save the other one for later because I know yeah. Josh really wants to. <laughs> I, I don't really want to talk about it, but I think <laughs> if we're doing a retrospective of. Well, Richard then let's Donner, just talk about it now, Josh. We have to talk about it. Let's let's go for it, man. All right. So, so the elephant in the room, an otherwise stellar career. Uh, I would have to say that that we would be remiss if we didn't bring up is by all rights an ill-advised, not good film that I for everyone involved for, right uh, that everyone involved I believe at some point apologized for um, rightly so yes yes because again just bringing this up because we are doing a retrospective and it it was a film that he did 
and that is the toy which is unabashedly racist <laughs> i mean that's that's the only way you can describe it well let's Wild. talk about let's move on to some some better days and just yes. you know just and, and the reason i want to bring it up is is to give a holistic look at the man's career and like you know everybody has everybody has things that they're not proud of i'm sure that he was not happy with that work but it but it's out there um and that definitely and, comes from being the journeyman yes and 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 in time you know sometimes you make decisions in the moment and they're not good decisions and and history bears that out you know versus it, it i think we could probably jump into superman at this point because it was it's like the polar opposite of of the toy oh yeah uh i i just i love that movie so much it is the movie for a lot of people of our generation that that made them a Superman fan. What I love about this film is that it's the thing that is the foundation of the modern superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I, a lot of people go, oh, well, it's X-Men and all that kind of stuff. It's like X-Men yeah. has a part to play, but Superman is it. It's the foundation. The only other feature length superhero movie other than made for TV at that point was the Batman movie in the 60s, which was mm-hmm. based off the TV show. It was filmed between the second and third season. That's the shark propellant one, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, that is the overly campy, uh, you know, everything's jokey-jokey. Adam the, West, let's stop and dance, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Some days you can't get rid of a bomb. The uh, Sound uh, effects written on the screen. Right? Yeah. The, the the beautiful thing about about Superman is, is the tagline, because it's such, it, it's so pure. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it really speaks to film because it was, you'll believe a man can fly. It's like, it's almost profound, yeah. <laughs> especially given, uh, you know, the time it was released was not exactly um, sunshine and roses for, for America. Yeah, a lot of people forget that's the malaise era. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the energy crisis and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I do want to get back to the tagline because that is something very important. Uh, they did do a lot of important things for special effects at that time uh for that movie it's one of those of course the special effects date they don't look well compared to modern day but i think where the strength of the superman movie is uh can be summed up peter david the comic book writer uh once said when he was talking about when he went and saw the superman film in theaters he said i came out of that theater not believing that a man can fly but believing that Clark Kent and Superman can be the same person and no one would ever question it. And that's the beauty of Christopher Reeve's performance. Yes. There's that scene in Lois Lane's apartment where yes. he's Clark Kent and he takes off the glasses and he straightens up and you see it. Like he transformed. It's like mm-hmm. a magic trick. Yeah. It's special the, effects the without comes any in, special yeah. effects. Yeah. yeah. The bass comes in that voice and then he, he thinks better of it. He, he puts the glasses back on and he, he, scoots down again and it's just it's it's fantastic and it's the reason why is because donner took the source material seriously Mm -hmm. now it still has jokes and everything in it he he still presents it as a comic book the opening is you know the the theater screen and then the kid reading the comic book and the camera moves in onto the comic panel and it comes to life he's telling you you're watching a living comic book but he still doesn't make fun of the material 
He pokes fun at it occasionally, but he still treats the characters properly. And that's the great thing about it. Well, and it, it was very... Go ahead, Stephen. I was going to say, that's a balance I think that DC movies don't have anymore no, because no. now it's it's like in order to, for this to be taken seriously, it's got to be the most dour, mm-hmm. self-serious, devoid of any humor whatsoever kind of thing. And then we need to like, you know, desaturate the color 20 times. Yes. So it looks like you're looking at gray on gray on gray. And then, oh my word, this is cinema. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And well, and, I can't. Mm-mm, and no. the, the, I think the problem with a lot of later films just in general is the, is the leaning into the postmodern sentiments that like, uh, you know, like we've been talking all the, he takes, he takes whatever genre he's doing seriously. He takes the script seriously and it's almost like that's become a bad thing that you have you have to have the self referential wink or nod or be meta in some way or deconstruct it's like don't you know don't deconstruct the genre make make the genre film it takes talent to be able to do that deconstruction and mm-hmm. do it well and make it entertaining and the problem is a lot of the people that come up behind and copy you don't have that talent well and there's there's a certain arrogance to it too because it's like well i'm I'm better than than Richard Donner because I can see the the tropiness or the hokiness of this instead of, you know, and, and that's I think where DC fundamentally misses the point of the current DC misses the point of Superman versus Richard Donner or like uh, MCU's Captain America mm-hmm. is that, you know, they're there is it's okay that he's wholesome in a boy scout that's that's the point that's the point yeah he's larger than light like once you take that from him you destroy the character right then you just have some super powered chump i always laugh in man of steel when she asks him what the s stands for and he smiles and says well it stands for hope and i'm like really because this is about the most hopeless movie i've ever seen (laughs) yeah And then they get more hopeless as they keep going. And that's that's the that's what really made me angry about Man of Steel. Like there are some just fantastic bits in there. Mm-hmm. Like the and I, I know you're not a Costner fan, Stephen. <laughs> I'm not. You you remember well. I do. Uh, but that the scene where they tell Clark about his origins, mm-hmm. and you know the kid says, you know, I just want to go back to being your son. Is it? Well, you are. Like that is. Mm-hmm. That should be the heart of your movie. And, somehow, and not just the scene. It's not. Right. Yeah. Right. Not the, hey, you should have let those kids drown. Which, <laughs> and, and I think that, that brings to something I wanted to say earlier is that I think in deconstruction, yes, it does take talent. Um, but I think it also takes a level of understanding of what it is you're deconstructing. Yes. And you have to understand what is there at the core of the thing you're deconstructing. Otherwise you're tearing it apart for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, if, it's, if you're not trying to point to something like fundamental at the core of this thing, then don't deconstruct it. Leave it where it freaking is. It's, it's something I heard from uh, one of my old film professors is you have to understand what the rules are and why they're there 100%. before you can break them. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in, in destruction is if, if you have children, it's very easy to it's easy to destroy things and and this podcast proves that it's easy to destroy films <laughs> it is more difficult to create something which is why like which is why podcasts like these are mostly people destroying <laughs> <laughs> or, or youtube channels where people are like the 50 mistakes right uh, in such and such a movie right Hope someone got fired for that blunder 
Right. It's like that's that's really easy. And 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 the whole point of like postmodernism and stuff is to yes, is there is a deconstructive component, but there is you create something new. Like, like Seinfeld did for the sitcom. Exactly. Yes. Right. And and it and at its core, though, still it's still a sitcom. It's yeah. it's, it's a deconstructive sitcom, but it's still a sitcom. I don't think I don't think the new Superman films are it even like what was it superman returns uh where where superman has the bastard child and stuff like it's like oh yeah. and he's, he's a creepy stalker <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. like dead, so, dead but then you remember brian and... singer directed that movie and it somehow yeah. makes sense yeah <laughs> again one of those things in retrospect where you're like oh that's uncomfortable and, and i feel bad especially now that i've seen him in uh legends of tomorrow and arrow uh, as Ray Palmer, like Brandon Ruth, is like, wow, you know, he could have done a good Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I have just no that, problems with his performance. No, no, it's just that that script was terrible, mm-hmm. and already he's going to be in Christopher Reeve's shadow. Exactly. But then when you make it a sequel of the Christopher Reeve's movie, you're just you're just drawing that comparison directly yeah. where you don't need to create something exactly new, right, rather but, than and, and, feeling and, beholden and, to this other thing. Yeah, getting back, just like Christopher Reeve is so just fantastic i can't say enough good things about christopher's performance in the the first superman i can't it's just and i watched it again last night uh and and even if i didn't have to do it for this show i would have done it anyway (laughs) because i i i own it and i own the donner cut of superman the scene at the end this is another thing that i think is fantastic i i do not believe that uh, another movie would do well uh, they kind of did it with uh the infinity war and all that but you know, Lois Lane dies at the end of the first film, mm-hmm. like a very horrible death too. Mm-hmm. And like he hears her die and flies to her, and just like the look on Reeve's face when he pulls her out of the car and he's setting her on the ground, like and and there's that one moment where her head kind of falls and he just he like jerks and just you can see it in his face, just the sadness. Mm-hmm. And then when it turns to anger. And he just screams, and it's like, you know, a god is angry. Essentially, in that scene, it is just, it is fantastic acting. When Reeve does it, it's believable. When Henry Cavill does it, you're like, dude, it's not that deep. Yeah. Right. And it is, and getting it, you know, once again, you got a great stellar cast with it. You got Gene Hackman as Oh, my gosh. Uh, And it's just like Kevin Spacey in Returns is like, We won't. You, you we won't even it. talk about the, the other. Yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Nicholson gets, I think, a lot of credit for his portrayal of Joker in Batman, the Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. But I think a lot of the things that he does, he's following a very similar path to what Hackman did in Richard Donner's Superman in terms of playing it big, playing it funny, basically stealing the movie from the mm-hmm. hero in every scene that he's what? in. And Batman is definitely a uh, a Joker movie, first and foremost. But at the same time, I think Nicholson is doing the comic book Joker mm-hmm. on the screen. And, and it's fantastic. And Donner's movie, Luthor, is almost, he's he's the self-aware comic book character. Like, he, he understands, like, what's going on around him. Like, so there's that great line uh you know, where Miss Tessmacher asks him why, you know, so many people have to die for his plan. And it's like, you know, why does the greatest criminal mind of our time surround himself with nimkins? 
<laughs> and, I, and I don't think. And speaking of which, I mean Ned Beatty. Oh, yeah, like as, another R.I.P. As the uh, the 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 henchman du jour is, it, he is so fantastic, and that's I mean almost he does comedies, but like like Otis is is next level, like yeah, next level bumbling sycophant, you know. Otis has a very woozy winks quality about him that I that I admire <laughs> yeah. and enjoy. What I love is the, the the scene that introduces him when he's he's going through Metropolis. Like all these people know him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's yeah. he's a henchman of the greatest criminal mind ever, and everybody knows him. <laughs> they know and they Otis. they like him. Yeah, and like Hackman has that great uh, line when he's watching Otis is it's amazing his brain creates enough power to walk you know <laughs> it is just is these fantastic uh like so they give all the characters something you know Lois mm-hmm. Lane can't spell <laughs> <laughs> but no it's like she's she's sitting there and go how many s's in massacre mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and stuff like that well, yeah well, even those are nice little character touches yeah like I said like they're, some they're, depth they're, yeah, exactly. They they give all the characters something like that. Even Jimmy Olsen, yeah, is like is serves a function and is entertaining. Um, yeah. So, it, like you said, it, it it really set the stage for all superhero film. It's 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 a cultural touchstone. It's a it's a stylistic touchstone. But like I said, what I love about it, it takes it serious, but it's still playful. Mm-hmm. And that's something that that Warner Brothers has had a problem with, uh, trying to find that right balance of tone. Another thing that's missing from Cavill, like that there was a little bit of it, but it was kind of a little too far on the end of it. And it comes from the actual comic books is that Superman does kind of have a bit of a jerk sense of humor uh, <laughs> in the past, particularly back in the Silver Age, mm-hmm. uh, in the Golden Age, like in the very first comic book, like when he. Uh, he finds this corrupt politician. He's taking the politician to uh, to jail, and you know at that point he doesn't fly, and he's actually running across power lines, and the the senator's like freaking out because he's afraid they'll get electrocuted. He's like, no, as long as we stay on the lines, it's fine. You know, as long as we don't touch the uh, the power poles, like I almost did there, you know, <laughs> he, he would mess with them, and he does that in that first movie, like when he's on the front of the boat with the, the robbers who got away and the guy comes up behind him and hits him across the head with the crowbar. And of course it does nothing. And it's mm-hmm. just like vibrating like a cartoon. And he just looks at him as bad vibrations. <laughs> like he's <laughs> the guy climbing up the side of the building is like the elevator broken. You know, he, there is that playfulness and it's, mm-hmm. it's directed not at regular people, but at, the criminals because mm-hmm. you know superman started his, his wish fulfillment of uh siegel and schuster that that plays it's it's kind of like yoda and empire strikes back when he's playful and you know fighting with r2d2 you know it's this great personality aspect that that makes him kind of fun and you know you kind of feel for him feel like you're you're with him because yeah who wouldn't want to just tell some jerk off absolutely yeah I also want to get to, because I think there's not only do you have like the stylistic, of course, barring from, from Donner, uh, but you know, his wife, Lauren Schuler Donner mm-hmm. is a producer. And, you know, they had their own company, a very prominent producer. In fact, she yes. is responsible for 
like the X-Men films exactly. and the resurgence of superhero films we had in the 2000s. Exactly what I was about to point out. She's, she's been the producer on that since the very first X-Men film. Her assistant was Kevin Feige. Yes, it was. And they actually made him a producer on X-Men because of his knowledge of the Marvel Universe. There would be no MCU without Richard Donner's no. Superman. Yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah, and, and like I said, and you know, they set up Kevin Feige to be where he is now. And you know, we can. I have my criticisms of the MCU, but I don't see anyone else doing it better. Mm-mm. Josh, I'm, I'm going to toss this over to you because this is another. I want to go ahead and get on. This is another big '80s movie, part of the zeitgeist that you've got down on the list. Is you it my wish? Up. Am I taking it back? <laughs> Is that where we're going? That's where we're going. I only got two listed here, so one of them was in the using US. my using my powers of deduction. <laughs> Vast one, as they are, one film was done in the two thousands. I'm going to say Goonies for five hundred. Um, yeah, the the Goonies I think is a film that men of a certain age <laughs> it's it is it's it's on the level i would say of, of star wars as far as like it's ingrained Resonance. in your yeah you know there's a little sloth in all of us it's <laughs> <laughs> baby carry, we carry with us you're coming to live with me now sloth <laughs> Like, did you talk to your parents about that chunk? Right. <laughs> you can't just have that giant man <laughs> live in your house. I mean, the, um, the bills on candy bars alone. <laughs> <laughs> there was a long legal battle with the Fratelli brothers from jail, like over custody of sloth and the and the Fratelli fortune. Um, it was like Kramer versus Kramer, but in the <laughs> That's, Honestly, that's they probably would have gotten the treasure. They probably would have ended up paying them to take him because. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the antiquities board like got all those. <laughs> <laughs> they still lost their houses. They still... <laughs> the movie cuts off for a very specific reason. Yeah, there's uh, a reason they never did a sequel to Goonies. It was too depressing. <laughs> they still lost. <laughs> so, and here's something that, uh, you know, like Goonies, when I. Even I still don't have a hard time thinking of it as a Richard Donner film because Steven Spielberg's name splashed everywhere. Like Richard Donner's not fake directing the the good enough music video with Cindy Lauper. It's Steven Spielberg. Yeah, she doesn't stop and yell, Richard Donner, what do I do? It's right. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I tell you, because I watched Goonies again last night too, because why not? And the thing that strikes me about like once again, it's not something you oh this is a richard donner film because mm-hmm. it doesn't have that style like i said he he floats between what it needs if i was to say that it belonged to someone even before steven spielberg i would say and uh, we take every opportunity we can on this podcast to throw out this name because we love this guy will forte i would uh, no, <laughs> you second. do listen I <laughs> it feels more like a joe dante film it really it does. does. It it's does. a live action cartoon. And I love the fact that there are callbacks into both Spielberg and Donner because they do reference Gremlins. Because when Chunk's calling the sheriff, trying to get him to, to, to come, it's like there's a dead body. And I, oh, is this like the Iranians? And the, <laughs> or, or those little creatures that multiply when you put water on them? 
<laughs> and then of course there's the bit later where chunk or uh, sloth pulls off his shirt there's the superman mm-hmm. t-shirt mm-hmm. underneath and the john williams the little john williams in. thing yeah. yeah yeah i don't know it joe dante actually does his goonies the very next year when he does explorers which is which very much it, it's another great movie but once again, yet another another great cast. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joey Pants is one of the mm-hmm. Fatelli brothers. Love Joey Pants. Robert Davi is the other. Yes. Yeah. Robert uh, Davi I, is is so pitch perfect. The thing that I noticed on my on my last visit to the Goonies is how much how realistic the Fatelli brothers were as brothers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like how like like they just like were petty and constantly fighting. Like I was like, man, this is like the most realistic depiction of siblings like <laughs> that I've ever seen. You always take his side, Ma. Like <laughs> you always liked him best. Yeah. yeah. It's and, not a yeah. hairpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just they just know how to hit each other. And it's it's so well scripted. That's the thing, like the like Goonies may be one of the, the tightest scripts of of all the films that he's done is it's it's like there's not a moment wasted in it no no everything sets up the next thing Mm -hmm. coming down the line yeah it's really great screenwriting really smart very clever screenwriting and the fact Mm -hmm. that it's main characters the characters that you're staying with for that amount of time are children right and that they're compelling Mm -hmm. to watch because child actors so often aren't um right really something special there's this kind of wave of nostalgia for the eighties, like stranger things and this and that. And, and I think most of it comes from a love of the Goonies. Cause again, I, I can't think of many other eighties films that had a majority of the cast be kids that you were kind of rooting for. Cause like, like, and they're still rewatchable. It's like, like fly the navigator. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's definitely tough, a product of its time. Yeah. Um, the I try, Paul Rubens doing the voice of the E.T. E.T. does it well. Well, but but the, the speech patterns of the kids, even just how they spoke to each other and, and the way they expressed it was was very genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, like the fact that Chunk was the one they all kind of, you know, he's the one that had to take all the, the hits from the group. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 something that that, you know, if the Goonies were made today, they probably would shy away from that um yeah but but that doesn't mean that that's not true you know there's there's a difference between like like a kind of fidelity to the truth and and what's what we want things to be and i think i think richard donner and what what he does in most of his films is is like he's he's very truthful and and how his his portrayal of people and, and obviously a lot of that is the script and stuff but but his directorial style and really pulls that out it's like in lethal weapon like mel gibson's character that could have been handled like a slapsticky kind of way or or even a more morose way that that made him more of an anti-hero but like mm-hmm. he 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 straddles the line and he makes he makes rigs like very complicated. human complicated and human and yeah. and like you feel for him that like that's a difficult thing to do and that's and to, the movie you watch and you remember that Mel Gibson is was actually a really good actor at one point right yeah and and, and that's 
it's something that that you don't expect in an action film like in in so and like with all these examples superman you don't expect those moments where lois lane dies and you fight there's this real moment of pain of of where you see behind like the the costume and all that and you see oh man here's here's somebody that's hurting and then goonies like the the real struggle for kids to deal with because the thing i love about the goonies is the stakes are perfect for a kid's adventure because mm. the reality is in real life you have to get, move kids get picked up and moved yeah. all the time and it's not the end of the world it happened when i was like like five, i just moved to the next town over but it was devastating to me because because as a kid and for him to be able to to show that in a film as an adult and like like empathize and take serious this like the stakes of this film is like that's what they they want to stop from happening they don't want to move and for an adult that's not a big deal in fact it could be something exciting but to a kid that's apocalyptic and he he has that seriousness to it It, yeah it's very much and i think the reason why it resonated was because we saw it as kids Mm -hmm. is it is that adult world interfering with the child's reality very good point yes like like seeing seeing him behind the curtain of of what lies ahead when you're still a kid it's 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 frightening stuff that's that's pretty hardcore stuff for for a kid's movie I had a friend in college who had never seen Goonies before and they were showing it on campus. So we went as a group to go see it and he came along and uh, we left the movie. And of course we all grew up with it. We loved it. And we turned to him and we're like, what did you think? He's like, it was all right. And it was just because, you know, you're not, he didn't see it at that level at that age Mm -hmm. where it, where those things felt very important. Right. And I mean, it it is, it's, I mean, a lot of my love for it is based in the nostalgia of watching it as a kid, but by the same token, like it's it's a real movie that conveys upon children the real emotions that they have mm-hmm. and treats them with all the seriousness of, you know, they're, any they're, old movie. Yeah, they're two good uh, punctuations as far as speech is done. And of course, Josh has always already referred to the first one with mm-hmm. uh, Corey uh, Bellman doing the, you know, picking up the quarters from the wishing well. Mm-hmm. You know, this one's mine. This is my wish. Mm-hmm. I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back. Yeah. That's that is a very you know deep cut right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But then right after that, you have Sean Aston going, it's like we've made it farther than anyone else. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we passed the dead body of the of Cobblepot, who's a professional, right? And we've made it further than he did. You know, it, it is establishing that that magical power of children within right. themselves up up there that's their world that's that's yeah. the world of contracts and, and foreclosures down here it's, it's our time yeah right it it really there there is a subtext of almost like like stephen king's it like there's 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 the kid world in in the the kind of magic of, of being a kid and then there's the threshold of adulthood which is essentially what what it is about um, on a contextual level, but it's, you know, it's dealing with real things in a fun eighties adventure, you know, and you still yep. get, you still get the, the, the choppers grabbing Joey pants in the nuts. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is. And it's all of those characters that kids love seeing. 
mm-hmm. you know, data, the inventor with all these wacky, you know, the slick shoes. Are you crazy? Slick shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was like, yeah. poised. I was going to jump on it. <laughs> Pinchers of power and all that kind of stuff. It is that bit of, you know, Looney Tune cartoon coming into the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then you've got um, Thanos himself. Um, Josh as the Brolin, older brother, as the older as, brother, and and he and Andy and and um Martha Plimpton yeah. are kind of they kind of straddle like they understand what's going on in the adult world, but they still are f- firmly footed in the kid world. You know, like uh, Brandon can't drive. You know, he's still riding a bike. In fact, he rides a little girl's bike. So like, there's there is a subtext of like being stuck in between two worlds. You know, if you want to start getting into the weeds of the the <laughs> psychoanalytics <laughs> of of the goonies so. but i also want to go into it because you talked about it with the fratelli brothers but it's also there with uh brolin and aston mm-hmm. as uh, definitely you know mm-hmm. brandon and yeah it that is a very much because they do fight they do kind of but they also love each other because there's that one scene uh when their mother leaves and you know, like they're standing out on the porch, and you know, Josh Rollins Brent comes over and just kind of hugs John Aston and like takes him back inside. Mm-hmm. You know, very it's, very real moment. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it, I it, think in, in a lot of in, in modern films or just the films of the past twenty years, they would cut that out for to not seem hokey or whatever, or because the pace has to be so lightning fast i don't understand like films today are longer and more fast paced it's just like and still put across less information right and you're still like i don't know what happened like you you have to cram in all those set pieces all those action set pieces you don't have time to actually disseminate information in an organic way and donner was good at he didn't have i guess more his cinematographers but like he didn't have the best eye but it was serviceable. I mean, like there, the omen is probably stands out like as far as like the mise-en-scene is much better than, than many of his other films, mm-hmm. it, because there are some very iconic, just well-composed shots in the omen. Um, Superman also has, is, has some pretty iconic moments, but um like nothing really stands out to me in Lethal Weapon, and and uh, and since we've had this conversation, I wonder how much of that is is a function of him knowing the genre, because an action film isn't really the place to have you know beautiful vistas or really yeah. well composed shots. Not until Michael Bay do you really start bringing those, and it's because Michael Bay's history in advertising, but you really mm-hmm. get those like beautifully composed every shot is the most important shot in the movie kind of um things coming into action films but before that action films had their own language and their own mm-hmm. yeah movement and so donner is very much adhering to those styles to the point where in 98 when lethal weapon 4 comes out it honestly kind of feels quaint by comparison mm-hmm. to like some of the other action films of of the late 90s um, because it's not really doing a lot of those things that were already now part of the of the the cultural landscape as a result of Michael Bay and and David Fincher and other guys like them coming in to and 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 doing cinema differently. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he definitely was not a trendsetter as Mm -hmm. far as yeah functionality. Yeah, you you have to look at other people. You know, before then, uh, like I said, like Frankenheimer Mm, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. uh, You know, the people who kind of like built the chase scene, right? And stuff like freaking guys like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I think that's why Donner isn't a big source of conversation for a lot of people. Like he's not a director. I don't know of anybody who would say Richard Donner is my favorite filmmaker. Um, yeah, you would say Richard Donner made some of my favorite films. Exactly. You would say Richard Donner made some amazing movies that I love and watch to this day, but you would not, even though, I mean, you, you could go, a lot of his films could go toe to toe with a lot of other films. And, mm-hmm. and if not come out on top, come pretty darn close. Like the yeah. dude knew what he was doing. Yeah. Well, and that that feeds into your your um, supposition that that of him as as a journeyman, mm-hmm. that 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 he minimized his footprint and did the work, and the work speaks for itself. And so, Absolutely. so we love Superman, we love the Goonies, we don't love you know like Steven Spielberg. It, that's that's a very interesting point. I, I I think that's a credit to him though because it's cinema is in such flux now because mm-hmm. there's we're in this weird space especially post pandemic where like everything's shifting even more towards home and so but you've got like this the kind of binge serialized format like the auteur has been replaced with more of like the brand and 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 spielberg I th- was kind of on the cusp of that because it's like it's Steven Spielberg presents Goonies yeah. and now it's like the Snyder verse. It doesn't matter if Zack Snyder was, was directing. Well, it doesn't matter if he was directing <laughs> a film within that context or not. It was he was he was like the the Kevin Feige, you know, so it was like his brand versus. And so it's it's in a weird way, almost like the the directors have become commodities or even like studio in and of themselves and i and the, i don't know if there's any room for just the workhorses anymore i i think there's a place for them i just don't think we'll ever talk about them yeah uh, it's, it's, it's they they will not have the chance to have a career as storied as richard donner um because as soon as someone has one or two hits under their hands not even to the degree of the omen, they get immediately snatched up by one of the powerhouse studios and mm-hmm. given the helm of a multi-million dollar movie. And then the rest of their career is just them trying to hop from one big budget thing to the other. Uh, if they even they get die. that far. If they even like, get yeah, right. You know, because that, you know, uh, we've had directors that, you know, they, they filmed the comic book movies or whatever, Adam, mm-hmm. and they just, they can't, survive in this modern studio system mm-hmm. you know your josh tranks your gareth yeah. edwards your right. colin because, trevor because they're indie like, filmmakers you're right, you're, so, you're selected because you're a great storyteller and you're a great director but then it's like you sit to do the movie and the studio is like well you know you've got to set up four sequels and we've got to have a tie-in with this i think getting back to the goonies though like i said it's it's that film you, you have to see it as a kid because it is a kid's film and not in the, the respect that a lot of people think of kids films. Right. But it is something that speaks to being a child. It's like, uh, was inside out mm-hmm. that, that is a movie for the whole family, but it is about growing up and like the emotions and everything you have to confront 
And I think that's the, the great thing about the games. Like I said, it, it has actual stakes that kids can understand. It makes them the hero. Mm-hmm. So I would say all in all, storied career of the world is brighter I, I, because Richard Donner I have to get to one it. more, man. I have to get okay. to one more because this, it's a holiday staple for me. And, and again, one that I forgot that he directed. Yeah, yes. once again, it's not something you would imagine as a Richard Donner movie. Uh, but Scrooge is an absolutely fantastic updating of a Charles Dickens classic mm-hmm. for the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what's interesting is that it is, even though it, it's an update, it is, it's very true to the original story. I mean, yes. it's, it's, it's a, it's a true update. It's not, not trying to twist things around or anything. It's taking the story it's moving it up in time. That's all it's doing. It, with a comedic twist, obviously. Yes, right. But um, it's still the emotional weight of the journey. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, having the, the meta textual aspect of their doing the live performance right. of a Christmas carol. Right. You know, with Buddy but, Hackett. See, <laughs> Buddy Hackett. That in, uh, in the. Um, it was Lee Major's Christmas. That's right. what it was. So, yes. So that's postmodernism done correctly mm-hmm. because it's like it's there's a story within the story. They kind of deconstruct the tropes, but at the same time, at the end of the day, that is still the same story. You yeah. know, <laughs> like it's because the ghost of Christmas future is still terrifying as hell. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more though it's terrifying. a comedy. Maybe maybe one of the scariest versions of that character I've ever seen put to film. Yeah, just the, you know, when you see him behind Bill Murray on the bank of TV screens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it, it just, it once again, that journeyman, you know, he knows, okay, we build tension here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does that. And, and, so, and there's so much depth to that, that whole iconography iconography of him being on the tv set yes you know um in in the, the, the 80s, face like, being the tv screen yeah yeah um also i mean all the all the ghosts are great carol kane is I love carol, carol kane's kane. always fantastic love yes, carol kane in that movie I, th- there's uh there's nothing i've ever seen her in that i have not thought she was fantastic and she can do i mean she can do serious too but yeah but, but her comedic chops are she just has that sensibility where she can move around a room and command it and have you cracking up almost with like minimal effort like it's like Cloris Leachman Cloris Leachman mm -hmm. was an academy award-winning actress for a drama the last picture show the last Mm -hmm. picture show but she is one of the funniest people Mm -hmm. to ever go in front of a camera absolutely and it just, I think it was, uh, what was it, the Bob Saget roast that she came out and just like killed. But yeah, I mean, it, Carol Kane's that same way. She is mm-hmm. a good all around actress, but she is a superb comedian. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But uh, getting back to Scrooge, like I said, it's, you know, you've got great people. You've got Carol Kane, get Bill Murray, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Murray's brothers. Yes. <laughs> But like Karen Allen, I think she's she brings such a a 
It's such and a great honest, She grounds uh, it very well. Yes, warmth yeah. to it. Yes, like and, exactly. And it they have a believable relationship, and she like like they you know they had divergent paths, and like she she's so grounded in that role, mm-hmm. and uh, it has such gravitas. It's it's really, again, like most of his films, they they're probably better than they deserve to be, thanks to his direction. I, th- I think he he is, has the ability to to get into and understand what he's making to such a degree there there's almost a purity to it because you can look at all these films and basically take them as an example. Like say the Goonies is like the template for '80s kids action comedy kind of movies, you know. And when it was, I believe, it was post ET and like so it was like he wasn't making the genre. He's refining it, though. right? But exactly. but it stands the test of time. Yeah. Like it ain't Mac and me, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but what is? Uh, Thankfully, not what even is? Mac and me is Mac and me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I said you you got Karen Allen doing a great job. Uh, that weird guy that plays the weird guy all the time that freezes. Bob Bob Goldway. Goldway, no, no, the the older guy, the guy that died with the watch. He didn't go, he like froze to death. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, big character yeah. actor. Yeah. And he passed away the past few years, but yeah, yeah. he was, he oh, was yeah, in but, uh, Bonnie and Clyde and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. And once again, that's a great scene when, oh, when man. Murray finds him. Heavy uh, scene. Exactly. And like I said, that's, that's what's great about that. You have the comedy. Like I said, that comes out, I think, right after like, you know, Carol Kane was punching him mm-hmm. to go from like place to place. And all well, that and it, show, it shows the, the depth that, that, a good director can get out of Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, well, not like I said, not just that, but it's just, it handles that tonal shift very well. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's a quick shift right there. Yeah. But it's, it's at the right place. It, it, he's, he's starting to see the consequences mm-hmm. of, of his life and, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he got invested in these people, even though he was with them just a short time, but he sees what happens to them. Mm-hmm. You know, Mama Fratelli uh, there again, because Donner mm-hmm. apparently loves to, to reuse people. Uh, weird casting, you know, Buster Douglas as the ghost of Christmas past or whatever I, I, he was I, going I, with at the time. I, I think that was, that was it was great. Casting. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I thought that he was just like, look, dude, just do your thing. <laughs> and, and it worked. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's weird is I feel like like he let him chew the scenery, but he he managed to like rein in the madness of Bobcat Goldthwait yeah. in the midst of like the height of Bobcat Goldthwait and like yeah, get, the, take get out this. that manic Bobcat Goldthwait and put him as you know like this put upon. He's yeah. like you know, so tightly you know. wound in that that it's no yeah. wonder that he comes in with a gun. You're just like this is yeah. the Bobcat Goldthwait that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's 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 a really for Bobcat Goldthwait, that was a nuanced role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sure saying enough. something in, in 1980, whatever, when this came out. This I was, think 88. This was straight off yes. of Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and now it's that, uh, Alfre Woodard as his secretary. Mm-hmm. You know, she, you know yeah. she's Early the... Alfre she's, Woodard. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's the Bobcat uh, Cratchit. Uh, yep. character with with tiny tim and everything mm-hmm. and it's uh and robert mitchum oh god the great <laughs> robert mitchum 
Robert Mitchum just coming in and doing it seriously and saying just like the craziest lines. <laughs> you know, they're saying pets are watching more TV. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, you know, if we have a, like Kojak had his lollipop, maybe we have a detective who, who dangles a piece of string. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and that's one of those great things. It's like, don't have them ham it up. Mm-hmm. The, the serious, the more serious it is, the funnier it is. Well, Mitchum, yeah. Mitchum was probably pulling from from real life experiences. He was probably in some some meetings <laughs> where some some execs were like pitching some crazy stuff very seriously. You yeah, know, his, his career, like I don't, I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> the kids like yo-yos, so. <laughs> And of Ooh. course, we, we got to throw out uh, John Glover as Donald Clamp yeah. himself. Yeah, as as a uh, a foil coming in to possibly snake Bill Murray's job. I, I like to think that that was uh, Donald Clamp. <laughs> he he succeeds and makes Clamp tower. That's right. <laughs> in, in my in my head, canon. the Clamp News Network and all that. Mm-hmm. I would have to say I wasn't a fan of the Smallville TV show, uh, but Michael Rosenbaum and John Glover as the Luthors were mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. high points. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree to that. But yeah, once again, Scrooge, Christmas classic, watch it every year. <laughs> and so should you. And if, yeah. and if you don't, we will find you <laughs> and ask you politely in person. <laughs> Maybe let you borrow our copy for a while. Just make sure you get it back to us in a timely fashion, please. And I'm thinking more like the uh, the commercials. I want them so afraid not to watch. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, well, you know? I, well, I was thinking about you, you, the 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 Lee, uh, Lee Major Christmas. Like, isn't that basically what the the um, movie that came out this past year with um, Walter Goggins and uh, Mel Gibson as Santa Claus? Oh yeah, um, the kid oh, hires Walter Goggins to kill yeah. Santa Claus. What's it, it's, it's called? I big, can't remember the, the big name guy or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, this this rich kid gets coal for Christmas, and so he hires Walter Goggins to to kill Santa Claus, puts a hit on him, and it's played seriously. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, and I kind of want to see it. Yeah, I, I, I've heard, I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things about it. Like, uh, it looks like it's called Fat Man. Fat Man. That's Fat it. Man. That's it. Yeah, and, uh, and like. Uh, Santa Claus works for like the CIA does like black ops for them and stuff on the, <laughs> during the off season. And it's just, it's played completely straight. It, so, Interesting. Uh, so I'll check that yeah. out. I, I, I want to Scrooge. I want to kind of prophetic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to close out. Cause uh, I think, you know, we've talked about his work and just, you know, how important it is to us. I think another aspect, and we kind of touched on it as we talked uh, about him and how he interacts, especially with the kids and all that kind of stuff. Uh, is there was uh, Jeff Cohen who played Chunk mm-hmm. in Goonies uh, put out a story about when of course you know child actor there's a point where you just stop getting work you stop getting the calls mm-hmm. uh, and he said you know when that happened Richard Donner hired him on as his assistant and uh, Cohen is now a, a legal attorney mm-hmm. out in LA uh, and when he was going to college he uh, I think Berkeley he asked Donner for a letter of recommendation and Donner told, well, yeah, just give me some notes on what you want me to say. And, and I'll write it up and send it on. And so Cohen just kind of wrote these notes and he's talking about like how his father wasn't there and stuff like that. 
and he said that Donner came up to him later and says, well, you know, we're not only writing this recommendation, but Lauren and I are going to pay for you to go to college. Oh my gosh. And, you know, and Jeff Cohen was like that, that was something that I was worried about because I didn't even, if I got into college, I didn't think I could pay for it. He's now a, a pretty big attorney out there mm-hmm. doing that. And it's that kindness. Uh, like I said, you know, helping out Kevin Feige, you know, Kevin Feige is one of the most powerful men in Hollywood right now, you know, in, in charge of the, the whole MCU. And I want more people like the Donners. Yes. Not just in sure. Hollywood, but especially in Hollywood. Right. Right. Well, and, and you hear, you don't hear a lot of stories about Richard Donner, but you hear no bad stories about exactly. him. Exactly. There, there's never been, you know, if I'm wrong, don't tell me. Like, <laughs> let me have this. But no one has ever said, yeah, Richard Donner, you know, he shortchanged me once. Yeah. <laughs> if Donner had, and I don't think that he wanted to be in front of the camera. I don't think he courted the the spotlight or the limelight. At least that's not what it seems like to me. Cause I think he could have been much more the author of, of his films, the author of his, uh, you know, his ticket in Hollywood. And he seemed like he was content to stay behind the camera, stay behind the scenes uh, and to work, to make the best stories possible and to help other filmmakers and other people find their way both in and out of the industry. Um, to be well-rounded and, and good, decent human beings, um, which is always nice to see regardless of the context. Exactly. Right. And uh, I think we'll bring it to a close and just saying, you know, we, we love Dick Donner's movies. Uh, you know, he had a great long life, 91. Mm-hmm. You know, that, good run. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate all that he's given us. And, Definitely. Uh, and like I said, we, we hope more people learn those lessons from him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, so, Josh, you want to do our station identification? Sure. We are the Brick Pit. Uh, you can contact us at brickpit at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter. We are now almost up to 30 followers on Twitter. So, I mean, I don't know. Nice. We, might have to pump, we might have to pump the brakes on that sucker. <laughs> 30 is the highest number, man. <laughs> you can also find us at anchor.fm front slash brick pit. Steven, yeah. where, where can the interwebs find you? Uh, well, you can find me on, uh, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus, C-H-E-W-Y-W-A-L-R-U-S, Chewy like the granola bar, Walrus like the Tusked Mammal, um, and uh, you can find my podcast, the Disenfranchised Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, but we are centered uh, at uh, Podbean, disenfranchpod.podbean.com to find all of our episodes. We're uh, up in the high 40s now by the time this episode drops, I'm guessing. Um, coming up on our one-year anniversary in September, which is very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. We'll be doing a, a two for one for our last episode of our first year, which is going to be uh, a Brett's Choice. My co-host uh, will be doing World War Z. Ooh. And then the next week is a Stevens Choice. We'll be doing uh, Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy. Oh. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> very excited to talk Dick Tracy. He still of... owns the rights to that, too. You can find us on social media as well. We are on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DisenfranchPod, D-I-S-E-N-F-R-A-N-C-H-P-O-D. Um, but check us out. We, uh, we, we have a good time every week. We're 
talking about a different movie that didn't get a uh, didn't get a franchise but really wanted one. All right. Well, it was good having you here, Stephen. Yeah, it was, it Jason, was a great, it's great conversation. To, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, you too, man. Did we like I said before this whole thing, we've known each other almost 20 years now. This is the first time we've actually talked voice. Yeah. You know, it's always been over internet, you know, message boards and chats yep. and and Facebook. So and face it, drops. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. coded messages. Uh the, the little scribbles pictures. of paper shoved in bottles and thrown out to <laughs> sea. Yeah. All right. Uh well, thank you guys for joining us here at the Brick Pit again. Uh we hope you enjoyed our extra long episode. Uh, we kind of expected that because this is a kind of an important thing to our generation, but, uh, we hope you'll join us again. And, uh, as always, Brick Dose Pits, that's our new catchphrase. That's, that's the new catchphrase. Brick Dose Pits.